Well, there's no peace in this house of worship. New Era Detroit stages a protest that turns into a brawl. That video right there has since gone viral. Now, this is the same church that recently hosted Republican presidential nominee Donald Trump. But this protest is about more than just politics. Fox News' Randy Wimley live now with the exclusive story. Randy. Yeah, guys, this has a lot more to do than just politics. New Era Detroit, they call it church accountability. Taking congregations to task for not serving the community, in their estimation, as those churches should. They say something doesn't add up when a pastor makes a lot of money, drives a luxury car, and yet the people who live near his church are in poverty. A scuffle inside the sanctuary after New Era Detroit protests during a worship service. Zeke, the leader of the group, offered no apologies for the dust up at Great Faith Ministry Saturday, only the reasoning behind it. This situation is bigger than just Wayne T. Jackson. This is about black churches and black pastors who live a lavish life on behalf of the people and they're not giving back to their community. He's referring to Bishop Wayne T. Jackson, the wealthy pastor that welcomed Donald Trump, drives a Rolls Royce, and lives in a mansion. Zeke was there for the offering Saturday. When they started the offering, a thousand dollars and then they said if you don't got a thousand dollars then do 300 and if you if you if you don't got if you don't got cash then we got ATM machines I don't understand that logic I don't understand that way of thinking and I don't understand that to be what religion is new era Detroit says the neighborhood surrounding great faith ministries is by and large impoverished this guy has networks churches fancy cars you know what I mean million dollar houses and it's babies in this community that's going without food at night somebody has to be frustrated about this enough to do something that will get people's attention and that's what New Era Detroit did. Here's the thing. Pick up the phone. Call. Right. I want to talk to you, Apostle. Right, right. Apostle's a very fair man. He would meet with you. He would talk to you. What's your issue? But to do it that way, that is so disrespectful. And members of Great Faith Ministry say New Era Detroit has their church and their pastor all wrong. I bet you give away homes, yeah. cars. They say he's an astute businessman. Juanita Kinney says he's one with a heart of gold. And when he found out that I didn't have anywhere to live, within an hour he was calling me back telling me to go and look at an apartment. And because of that and because of the love from him and his wife, I now have my own place. You should talk to people that, he, that, that he's hired. Ex-cons, people that were in prison. Mm. He's done so much work for this community. Their homes that he's bought and gave to people. But Zeke don't know that. Many feel New Era Detroit crossed the line and violated a sacred space. They even drew comparisons to Dylan Roof, the man who walked into a church service and gunned down nine people in Charleston, South Carolina. They can't come in here and think they're going to take over our service, have our women and children, mothers up in here terrified. And they're talking about that they are out there protecting the community. This is a community up in here. Hindsight is 2020. Given um, all this being said, would you do it all over again? Absolutely. We would definitely do it all over again. Would we tweak something? Absolutely. We, we, we would probably tweak up a few things and change it. But going back, no, we, we would definitely go in there again. And they better get their act together because we just might be back. Even so, the leader of New Era Detroit says he is open to having a sit down with Bishop Wayne T. Jackson and the pastors of other churches that New Era Detroit has protested. Stay tuned. Hugh, Taryn. Stand for the reading of scripture and we'll dig in. Stand for the reading of God's word. Thank, 
you for all of our youth workers who worked on our conference yesterday, the Resolve Conference. A huge success, huge success, huge success. Youth were dialed in and engaged. I had a fun time uh, teaching biblical view of sex, and so I got a bunch of people online saying, you're going to do that for the young adults, Pastor? The youth got it, we got it, so we need it, so we're going to talk through that. But let's go ahead and get into these scriptures, and we'll dialogue a little bit about this video as we dive into the text. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 16 through 9, verse 5. Let's go on three. One, two, three, read. Amen, amen, amen. So we're back from our Woke Church series now, back into our line-by-line, precept-upon-precept uh, series through uh, 2 Corinthians on Keeping It 100. This day, we will be talking about why giving is important. Why giving is important. Let's go before the Lord. Father, we thank you. Honor you for this reality and honor you for uh, what you've done to nurture us and strengthen us and challenge us. Thank you for those who are here at our third gathering, excited and thankful for them. Lord, and stir their hearts up, turn the heart soil of their hearts so that the seeds of the word of God could fall fresh on fertile ground. And in falling on fertile ground, bear uh, fruit 10, a hundred, a thousand, a million fold in every area of their life. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust and Help us not to merely be hearers of the word, deceiving ourselves, but help us to be effectual doers. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody hear that said? Amen. 
I mean, you may be seated. You may be seated. I know you're wondering, why in the world did Pastor play that video? Well, I think that that is uh, a caricature, if you will, of how people view the church. Um, even though that's a minority of churches who have a philosophy of life, in my mind, I, I mean, I know in my circles, I don't have one person that functions that way with Rolls Royces and million dollar cribs and that type of thing. That's really not, most of the people I know, people in ministry that I know, uh, have a different disposition. However, somehow, in some way, shape, or form, the world really has the minority of churches as a major radar item, as a way that their heart has an aversion towards the local church. And that aversion that people have towards the local church has made its way into the local church uh, by which believers have a hardened disposition towards the idea of giving and of generosity. And when you look at uh, New Era Detroit, and which really I think believe started in, New Era started in uh, Chicago actually, they are taking dip, not just churches to task, if you will, that's what the reporter said, but really any uh, entity in, in urban inner city neighborhoods that's benefiting off of the resources of ethnic minorities in the community without resowing resources to build up and strengthen that particular community economically. And so they protest them. And so it is sad that the world has to be a prophet to God's people. It, it, it's, it's always sad when a group, whether you like what they did or not, they have a little more grimy video on where it was, it was literally some fighting in the local community. However, that, that it, it's, it's to show that for the most part, a lot of people, when they see a video like this, really, it, it not only nurtures the distrust towards the church, but it also magnifies the universal church as that being representative of how everything is. But when we look at the scriptures and we look at how we're called to function as the church, as believers who love the Lord God and who are committed to doing ministry, that's not the caricature that the church should be. And our prayer here is on the corner of 17th and Diamond that that's not the caricature of what we are called to be, but we're supposed to do ministry. Somebody say ministry. So we would love it if God used Epiphany Fellowship and other churches in our city um, and many more to reframe the face of what church is like so that the community can begin to look at the church as a viable way of being a change agent in the community. And as a matter of fact, to be honest, a lot of churches are, and I can list so many things in the neighborhood, but those things don't get pressed. However, the challenge though is, is when you come to a text like this, people sort of, whether you're a visitor, whether you're attending member, or whether you're a longstanding member, you begin to sort of have this, okay, what am I about to get myself into in hearing a message on finances and how money works and my role in doing that. Well, I want to let you know that everything in your life has to be under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, everything, somebody say everything. everything. Everything is supposed to be under his Lordship. So when something's talked about in the Bible, yet it's been perverted by people who claim to preach the Bible, we don't, listen, listen, we don't stop communicating what the Bible says. We just need to excommunicate the perversion. Yes, yes. Okay? So, 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 so listen to me now. So what we need to do is we need to deal with the perversion and get back to biblical yes, principles. And so, and so in doing that, now every area of your thinking, every area of your life is aligned. Somebody say aligned. 
align with God's way of thinking and God's way of doing things. So the good thing about preaching verse by verse is y'all can't say, I just manipulatively got into this passage to, give you, to get you to give. We've been preaching verse by verse and line upon line. And Jesus says, no, no strike of the, 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 the smallest letter or the line, uh, heaven and earth will pass away before God's word will. And so that means that I want to die. Listen, when I go home to be with the Lord, unless Jesus come back, I want to die saying I did not shrink back from bringing to you the entire counsel of the living God and saying every word that God has to say, every promise God has to say, and preaching every single thing that our King has told us to communicate. Because the Great Commission says, teach them all things. Somebody say all things. All things that I've taught you. So here we are in this text. And when we talk about this idea of why giving is important, I, I'm going to come to my first of a few points. Number one, the church must turn offerings into ministry. The church must turn offerings into ministry. Look at what he says. This is a, really a vibrant text filled with nuggets, right? Uh, it, it says, but thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. Well, let's first off find out who Titus is. Paul is first off speaking to the Corinthian church, and the Corinthian church is the church that got the money, all right? This is the church that's, that's got it like that, right? He talked about the Macedonian church already, which we saw in the earlier part of this passage. We'll come back to them later. But let's talk a little bit about Titus. Titus is one of Paul's sons in the ministry. Titus was in Antioch, so he's probably from Antioch, which is in northern Turkey, right on the edge of the Mediterranean Sea. This olive-complected young man, um, interestingly enough, here in this sector of Saudi Arabia back in the day, became a ferocious believer in one of the, in, to me, the top church in the New Testament. The reason why it was the top church of the New Testament to be in is, number one, because it was, because it was a gospel-preaching church. That's number one. Number two, it, all types of people came to that church from different ethnic backgrounds and were unified under the banner of the gospel. But thirdly, is that church lived with an open hand. And the way they live with the open hand is if it wasn't for the Antioch church, there would be no New Testament. Those different ethnic minorities of different multi-ethnic colorings, if you will, in that church, most of, half of which were Africans, northern Africans that were particularly in that church, which were probably uh, dark-skinned black people. Niger, who was one of the elders there, was one of the leaders in the church. Don't let the pictures fool you. And so, and so what ends up happening is, interestingly enough, is Antioch birthed a lot of ministers of the gospel, one of which who got commissioned in his home church was Paul and Barnabas. Titus was a part of that church. Paul snatched him up on his missionary team and began to disciple him so that he can be utilized. Later, he would become the bishop over the churches over all of the islands in Crete, which is uh, south of Greece, where he would appoint elders and plant churches, and he would oversee their commitment to the gospel. So now we come to this passage in Corinthians. He's still in the training regimen, but he has submitted properly in his process to the point where Paul trusts him to lead offerings. Yeah. Now, why is this so important? Because look, 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 look what Titus says. Ti uh, Paul says about Titus. He says, he says, thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. I like that. No, I like that is because Paul is saying something important. Earlier, Paul said in the past, I have an earnest care for you. Later, he says, Titus has the same care for you that I have for you. 
What is the care that Paul had for them? If you turn back to, you don't have to turn there, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he said that they were his letters. Somebody say letters. In other words, he had invested so much discipleship-wise into the church that he cared a lot about their souls. So therefore, in other words, he cared more about their souls than what they could sow. Oh, y'all not going to talk back. It's okay. I already got my amens from the first two services. I'll just, I'll take a couple, but, but, but we're going to step in this. It's interestingly enough is that, is that you should know the church cares for you before it asks you to give. Uh, yeah. See, 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 what's interestingly enough is he was very concerned about God's people. So he had an earnest love. Somebody say earnest love. Now you got to understand to have an earnest love for the Corinthians, Pastor Larry meant something. Because these were some horrible Christians. They were hypocritical. They would read, read, read their list later on of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Just read their list of sins that they were walking in. And listen, what's so powerful about it is they loved them. It was leadership that loved people even though they saw their mess. So, in, other words, I don't, in other words, their mess didn't get in the way of the leadership's commitment to seeing Christ formed in them. So that same love that motivated them to love them came from their experiences of God's love for them. When you're experiencing God's love for you, you can give away that love. But if you're not experiencing the love of God, you can't give away what you don't have. And so, and so what he begins to do, what he begins to, that this outpouring of this same commitment of wanting to see and, and travailing over the hearts and souls of God's people flowed into him being able to trust him with God's people. It wasn't until he knew that Titus loved God's people until he can trust them with God's people. I'm going to say that one more again because y'all over here didn't get it. The only reason he could send them to talk to them about our offering because he knew about his love for him because he knew that his love for him was bigger than how much. See, you can't trust anybody to a rich church. You know, they had a little bit of money. So he knew that their riches wouldn't get in the way of making him compromise to go around what's needed to be communicated to help them to hear what they need to hear to grow. So look at what he says. Look at what he says in the passage. So as Paul begins to go on, he talks about this same earnest love that, that, that he has for them and that Titus has for them as well. Next point, next point. If we're gonna be a generous church, it starts with trustworthy people and trustworthy systems. Trustworthy people and trustworthy systems always can grow in this area. Look at verse 17. It says, for he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. Listen to the depth of that. No, ain't nobody have to make Titus serve. Now, let me explain to you why this is important. Because back in the day, they didn't have wire transfers or like Western Union or some type of app on their phone where you can get somebody's route number and just transfer some money into their account. Literally, you had to go to the church. You had to open up a bag. They had no like dollar bills, like paper. It was like heavy coins. All right. So they had to, whatever the offer was, they had to put it in the back. Coins. They had to carry that. So first off, number one, he had to be committed to carry some heavy coins. Now, now y'all looking at me funny because y'all think they had like scepter back then. They didn't have scepter. You either walked or you dealt with a donkey. Now, that's number two. So you walking with a lot of money on you. Now, what does that let you know? That you're caper ready. Let me explain what that means. 
back in the day, if somebody got, ran on a cable, let's go on a cable, that means they was going on the block and do some dirt. There were a lot of dirt doers back there on their block because they always knew that people were traveling with money. So when everybody was traveling, they would pounce on them and, and snatch them up. So basically, Titus in investing himself and saying, I'll carry the money, is putting his life at risk. Yeah. See, 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 leadership that takes no risk isn't leadership. Oh, y'all, y'all, oh my God, where am I going to get some? In other words, leadership that wants you to take risk, but they won't take risk, is some punk leadership. It's some punk leadership because you make the sacrifice and you make the move. But then when it's time for you to make a sacrifice, you're saying, you, don't, you look like a sacrificeless life. Help me today, God. But, but, but what's interesting about Titus is Titus was only going to go, you'll see later, with two other dudes. So I don't know what type of swords they had for the road because they didn't have gats back then. Arrows on a, on, they was on a donkey like that. Just like, I mean, I don't know what they were going to do to protect the offering. I don't know if it was prayer, some angels, invisible. I don't know. But what's interesting about this passage is that the first trustworthy thing in ministry is you have to have trustworthy leadership in place to steward the resources that God has given. So look at what he says in verse 18. With him we are sending our brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. This is dope. Because what, what this would seem to be in just first reading would be something that would seem to be out of place. Why would you send a famous person who preached the gospel? Now when we think about famous, don't think about celebrity preachers. That's not what this is. See, famous in the Bible is different than famous in our eyes. <laughs> see, see, and I'm going to give you some characteristics. See, see, famous, see, biblical famous means low. Human famous means high. In other words, and so, so, so just remember that. So it's only things that God would peep on somebody's life that would make them famous in the eyes of mature believers. So that means maturity decides stature and value, not eyes that are full of stars. Now, let me, let me explain something to you. Why is the preaching part important? Because preaching determines the culture of the church. Now, now I'm telling you right now, anybody that act like the sacred desk, this is the most important central platform in the church. Not because of the person that stands behind it, but because of what sits on it and who was proclaimed from it. I'm by myself. And so, and so, and so what, what ends up happening, family of God, is this, this thing is so important um, um, that, that it demands and it, it, it distributes and doctrine sets the disposition of everything that it goes out to. What does it go out to? Women's ministry men's ministry, small groups, church planting, uh, uh, all the different things really find their theological and formational root in the doctrinal preaching of an expositional, consistent preaching, and it should line up with God's Word and the proclaiming eldership's communication within help with accountability of the church of the doctrine setting in the church. I'm excited by myself. It's okay because I like being, I'm not a good preacher without a Bible. I can't use a magazine. I can't just use my head. I can't just use Wikipedia. I got to have a word from the Lord. It's interesting. Preaching that hurts the church is man-centered preaching. That's what hurts the church. 
cause-oriented preaching. Everything that happens, your sermon is built around what happens. And I know you need an in-season word, but sometimes you need a word beyond your season. Because some things, they, you don't want the word when you get to where you're supposed to go. Help me today, God. You need a word that prepares you for where God's going to take you. And if you only get an in-season word, you'll stay in that season. Ah, help me today, God. And so I need preparatory word. I need some words sometimes that make me mad and make me want to walk out and that talks to areas of my life. That make, see, you know somebody don't care about your money. Listen, when they'll tell you about your sin, tell you about how trifling you are, but then tell you about the God from heaven who came down and hung himself on a cross in order to bring you out of that mess. Listen, feel-good preaching is to get to your pocketbook, but Bible preaching is to get to everything in your life. Money-oriented preaching. Everything is a hermeneutic of money. Hermeneutic of, I see money everywhere. Like six cents. I see people everywhere. I see money, 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 money. Run from that dude. Or do that. Anybody that preaches money-centered preaching, run for your life. Run for your life. But then finally, um, bad preaching or preaching that hurts churches that doesn't set the tone for the church is pastor-driven preaching. Amen. Amen, pastor. Um, if, the, if the pastor is bigger than Jesus, run for your life. If everything in the gathering is pastor this, pastor that, Patter, 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 patter. Run. If the only picture on the website is the pastor on every single page, <laughs> I know that don't happen in our world. Run. <clears throat> because if you have a church, whatever is the center of the pulpit is what's the center of the church and what's the center of the finances. Take my word for it and take God's word for it. But it's not a low honor culture. It's not the other side where, you know, the low honor, like, disrespectful, like, because you church hurt and then you act a fool and think you can talk any kind of way. That's a, that's a sub-sermon point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want to let you know, oh, it's cool. No, nah, no familiarity there, right? But then, so what, what, why, why was this preaching important? Why was this preaching important? Why did they send a preacher with them? Because, because preaching strengthens the church. How does it strengthen the church? It's Christ-centered. In other words, the preachers and everybody should be so hidden behind the cross that you walk away with the cross and not the people who were proclaiming it. Ah, Word-driven, not read a verse and then go off on some stories. <clears throat> but, you, but in the Bible explaining what the Bible says, listen, let me just, this is for free because I'm at the last service, so I got, um, this is for free. If, if the best thing about the sermon was the meme that attracted you on Instagram to come see it and that the graphics were beautiful and the website developments was beautiful and they developed t-shirts with the sermon series and banners but then you come and sit under the word and there's not a verse in the Bible and all it is is creativity and drama ministry and all I ain't against drama ministry I ain't against memes I ain't against any of that but all I'm trying to let you know is somebody ought to have a word from the Lord Ah. It should be historically informed. Yeah. 
in other words, it's not of anyone's own private interpretation. It should, ah, this is for free. This is for free too. I'm feeling good about it. Um, for free, listen, it should be what's been said by believers for centuries. Ah. <laughs> ain't nothing new under the sun. I ain't up here to give you a new word. I'm here to give you a fresh word, but there's a difference between a new and a fresh word. A new word is some old make-up prophet babble. Isms. Cations. Istic. Right? But, but, but I'm supposed to continue to say what the church father said, what the apostle said, what Jesus said, what the prophet said. I'm supposed to just keep saying that over and over and over and oh, oh I'm getting hyped over again. Amen. It should be God glorifying. God should, your, your expansive mental spiritual bandwidth because of preaching should almost, should just expand when you hear about God, when you hear about who he is, and when you hear about his omniscience, and when you hear about his omnipresence, you should have an expansive reservoir of the glorious mysteries of God because of the preaching of the word. Should be edifying. Should just be getting fed. That's an excuse for hearing what you want to hear, but building you up, gospel-centered, and hope oriented. I got to move. Verse 19. <coughs> Verse 19. He says, and not only this, not only this, but he has appointed by, that she was appointed by the church to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that, of this act of grace that is being uh, ministered by us. Oh, man. Dang. Act of grace. This is just too much, y'all. I'm trying to get through this passage. All right. Act of grace is powerful. Um, act of grace points ultimately <coughs> into the word for God's loyal love, which is chesed. In the New Testament, they had to split the word in two and have grace and mercy split into two words because hesed was too much of a potent word to communicate the untranslatable excellencies of how God feels about us. <laughs> oh, that was crazy. Thank you, God. Grace is God's unmerited favor towards you. In other words, this act of grace points to the fact that you didn't save yourself. And because you didn't save yourself, mm, it's powerful because this act of grace says that I view my resources through the lens of God's favor. That means that when God provides for you, you don't complain about what he's provided for you. Okay, let me see if I can make it real plain because we're going to talk about what this act of grace is. See, many of us ain't had no job. Then we get a job and hate the job we got, and we complain about it forgetting how messed up it was like to not have a job. Mm-hmm. And don't remember that what you don't like that you don't make could be nothing, but the Lord provided what you got. That's first of all. You understand what I'm saying? So get, get, get your right britches on, as my grandmama would say. And then, and then, but then what, what, what God has called you to do is have a grace disposition towards your resources. In other words, you, you may have worked for it, but really, God still ain't had to give you nothing. So everything you have is from the grace of God. So that means you need to see the overarching hand of God standing over your finances. And when you look at an act of grace, the act of grace is saying, man, let me, 
My money just hit the account, or I went to the check cash place. We're not looking. Money orders, whatever way you do it, we're not mad at you, all right? But you get your little money. And then you look at it. You say, man, this is the grace of God that I even got a job and got this. God, I just want to thank you that this money got to me. Um, something could have messed up. I just want to thank you for it. All of this is yours, but a portion of it is specifically yours. And God, I want to get my mind wrapped around how do I respond to the great grace that you've given to me by giving to your kingdom mission. See, an act of grace is knowing that you've experienced grace and not that you're tipping God to say thank you for grace. And it's an act of grace because it's not to pay God for something that some fool promised you. Okay, I'm gonna stay out the way. You don't pay for healing. Where's that in the Bible? These cats asking you for an offer for healing. If you want a healing, give this much. That's not in the Bible because it's an act of grace when you give. You don't have to pay for God's promises Christ already paid for. That's why he's called the key of David because he unlocks all the promises of God. That was for free. Let me move. Let me move. Let me move. This is beautiful how the Bible communicates itself. Look at, look at, look at it. So, he says, not only that, pointing to the churches to travel and carry this act of grace, that is being ministered by us. I love the fact that he talked about it being ministered, not given. I like that. It's a service. He says, for the glory of God himself and to show our goodwill. <coughs> so, look at what it says next. He goes down in verse 20. He says, we take this course, listen, so that no one should blame us about this generous gift be, uh, uh, that is being administered by us. And so he wants to put every effort behind making sure that what was given in the offering is transmitted and transitioned into ministry. Beautiful stuff, because it's a reflection of God's generosity towards us. Verse 22, it says, and with them we are sending our brother whom we have often tested. <laughs> so this dude it is probably, you know, this is funny. Because, you know, when somebody gets saved, they, had, they really got saved. Like, all of us got saved, but some people got saved. <laughs> you know the difference between saved and saved. Like, Paul was saved. Because, you know, when you save, when you, when you got saved is when nobody trusts you when you get saved. <laughs> He's like, I don't know. I know God's arm ain't too short to save, but, man, I got to see something in this joke of life to really believe that he or she really got the ghost of God inside of them, right? And so <coughs> this person, we don't know what their background is, but they had to be tested. You know what I'm saying? Nobody else was tested but this person. Everybody else was like, we like him, good, you can help. But this person was like, ah! <laughs> and tested, and look what the Bible says, and found earnest in many matters. I, can I say this for free? It's good when God grows you and it even... It, it, it crosses out and erases your former testimony because of the beauty of how the transformational power of the gospel can have in your life. <laughs> it's just beautiful. But who is now more earnest than ever? Wow. He's talking about his growth. It's almost just encouraging to that person because of his great confidence in you. Amazing. Last point. I'm out your way. God's people must be dedicated to giving. Last point, God's people must be dedicated to giving. God's people must be dedicated to giving. Look at what the text says, <clears throat> verse 1 of chapter 
9. It says, now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry of the saints. So even though this is about the ministry or the relief, rather, of the saints, it points to the fact that this still gives principles that we can utilize in any way of receiving resources and how they use, right? So it says in verse 2, it says, for I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the Macedonian church, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. In other words, generosity sparks generosity. That's good. So, and then Paul says later, I'm going to talk about that in a second, about generosity sparking generosity. He said, but I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may prove not prove empty in this matter so that you may be ready as you said you would. In other words, don't make me look like a fool. Like your mama used to say, when somebody's coming over the house that was new and they ain't really know how y'all were yet. And so he said, listen, don't make me look like a fool, right? And so that's what Paul said. So Paul, being smart because he knew the immaturity of the Corinthians, sent a delegation before him to get things ready so that when he got there, the Macedonians wouldn't be mad. Why would the Macedonians be mad? Because the Macedonians were a poor church. The offering was generous, meaning it was a lot of money, because this poor church gave a whole lot of money. They sent some people from Macedonia that was going to come with Paul after the delegation pre-went already to get things set up, and the Macedonians wanted to get there and to see the beauty of the generosity. Why? Because the Corinthians had promised that they were going to give and give generously, and out of their commitment to give, the Macedonians decided to give as a motivation to the Corinthians, but now the Macedonians' generosity is upping the game of the people who really got the loot to really be generous in relation to that. That's what I love about this. Now, generosity breeds generosity. <clears throat> I can remember when we start, first started Epiphany Fellowship, and we had to raise money. If any of you don't know what church planning is or church startup, usually a church, and most of the time churches just start and just get a, get a mic and a band and just start preaching. Um, but there's a more strategic way to start <coughs> by which you get trained and develop. And then once you get, as you get trained and develop, you have to do what's called raise money. Somebody say raise money. And so before you even start ministering to the people that you want to minister to, you begin to raise resources so that you can be fully dedicated to the work of making sure that finances doesn't get in the way of your ability to be committed to serving people. So my mom, I mean, my wife and I had to go and start raising money. So we ended up raising money and we had $5 people and $10 people and $100 people in the sense of just what people committed to, not like we said, you know, like some type of gimmick. And so what ended up happening, we would go to the big boys and they'd be like, all right, so your presentation is great. You got a great vision. Who's on board? And we was like, well, we got, we got, we got like 20 people. Wow, 20 people. 20 people on board to give? Yeah, just people from all over the United States. He's like, all right, cool, cool, cool. How much? Um, we was like, well, here it is. They was like, we was like, we got the $20 givers right here, the $100. They were looking at us like, man, uh, okay, cool. <laughs> so, so they end up not hollering at us. So one day, <laughs> so one day, um, I'm about to leave Arkansas, come to Philly. From, we're not from Arkansas, please, we're not. And so, um, and so um, no, I'm sorry, Arkansas people. Um, but so, so, we, so, so one of my, the dudes that was helping me, us get mentored for church planning called a dude in North Wales, Pennsylvania. It was like, yo, got a young boy, he here, boom. I need you to connect with him in some way. He's about to plant a church, I think. It's going to be good soil. You check it out. Do what you do. But he got my stamp. Oh, buddy. Now, they talk without me even knowing it. <clears throat> then they ended up putting me on the phone with them. And, you know, I've, I've been through, like, so many meetings with people. I, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to talk to you. Amen. Hallelujah, brother. God bless you. Amen. Bye. And then I'm like, we'll see. Now, you know, we pray because we got 95% no's. 
right? So we show up to Philly. Dude never seen my face before. Me and my wife sitting there behind the desk, and he's like, yeah, we've been praying, and the night before, me and my leaders got together, and a number came. This is not a lie. Came to, a number came to all of us, and we asked each other what the number was. And we're only three to five-year-old church, and this is the number that came up. And he's like, God told us to give Epiphany 100,000. Now, I'm charismatic, Holy Ghost filled. Somebody said, hey, God. And now I'm on the inside, like, hey, God. I'm, I'm in, tongues is all over the place. I'm like, man, that, what a gracious offering um, for the Lord's church. You know, I'm just, and that's what I am on the inside. I'm like, Lord, you don't know what you just did to this Negro soul just now, right? But what's funny, what's, what's beautiful about it is as we began to raise money, people was like, so what you, what, what you got committed? I was like, yeah, look right here. We got 100 Gs on tap for the ministry. You know, people was like, oh, okay. And then all of a sudden, 20,000 coming, you know, quarter million, all this money started coming because of giving generates giving. That's what I want to encourage you about. That's what I want to encourage you about. Not a gimmick. Please don't hear me. If you heard this sermon and think it's a gimmick, you've missed it. Listen, this, this is what giving is supposed to cause and strengthen others to want to give. And that's what I want us to begin to do. We've been sown into <coughs> Epiphany Fellowship. We've had to raise, particularly God had to push us out, raise $3 million over the years, probably $2.5 or $3 million for the church to be planted. Now, we've given away $600,000 to ministry over the years. Hallelujah for his giving. Okay. So what I want to do, I want us to begin to recommit and continue to commit ourselves to generosity. Okay. So I got a few questions for you. This is grace giving stuff, right? So um, I want to ask you a question first. Are you giving at your, at or near your regular giving potential? That's what I want to ask you. I want to are you giving out your giving potential? Do you lay your resources before the Lord and think about the church that you get fed from and that you serve at and that you're in community with? Is it, is it like a thought on your mind? And have you maximized your giving potential? Number one, is giving a priority in your spiritual life? <sighs> Again, that, like this is a part of the gambit of being a believer, right? Now, I'm not sitting up here proclaiming Malachi 2 or 3, right? Talking about your curse with a curse because that's not a motivation to give. Listen, Jesus Christ, based on Galatians, became a curse on the cross to wipe out the curses that should have come upon us based on the law. So therefore, I'm not gonna say, well, if you don't give and if you don't sow, your car gonna break down, you gonna get, that. see, that's some old manipulative fool talk giving. Like we're talking about God's been good to me, let me submit to that and think through how everything belongs to him and give like everything belongs to him. Right? So it's giving a priority in your spiritual life. So I'm going to ask you a few things. Will you commit to being a regular generous giver to God's ministry? You know what we're trying to do? Upcoming things. We got the Woke Church Think Tank where we're going to be dealing with the, the school to prison pipeline and health issues in our neighborhood and all the different things that y'all heard us list during the Woke Church. We're trying to like get resources together. We're trying to get our staff weighed up, right? Um, we're trying to invest more into thriving, which is the 
uh, global resource collaborative that we've been doing, and we thank the Lord for it selling out for the first time this year, and people from all over the country coming and being blessed by the gospel and being taught. We want to resource that more because more is coming with that. Our bandwidth program, where we're going to treat, teach young African-Americans, Latinos from this community how to build businesses that give back into their community as they are being transformed by the renewing power of the gospel, and they utilize resources from that to sow back in it so that it can be a reciprocating effect. We already got people that are committed to helping with that from people all over the country that have successful businesses to people locally. Um, renovation of the facility to beautify it so that it can be a place of that. And this timeline is for the next year and a half. So why am I saying this? Why am I saying this and why is this important? If you're still not motivated, maybe this will motivate you. God in eternity past said based on revelation that Jesus Christ was slain before the foundation of the earth. Why is that important? Because before Jesus Christ came and before we ever existed, God committed himself to being generous to us. He gave the best of heaven before we needed heaven and before we were created. Then wrote Genesis to Malachi to be him pinning his promise to send Jesus. So he put on paper his covenant to say, I'm going to save you. So I said it in eternity past, but you weren't there. So I'm going to put it in paper for you so that you can see my level of commitment. Jesus Christ comes on the scene as the eternal God man, and all he keeps talking about is what God said about him from Genesis to Malachi to verbalize God's covenantal commitment of what he said in eternity past that he was going to do. Now Jesus was here coming to pass. Then he died on the cross, and guess what he kept doing on the cross? Quoting scripture and fulfilling scripture to let you know that the signal of the cell tower of earth is reconnecting us with the eternal provider in heaven. Why is that important? Because God's the best giver. He's the generous giver. And so therefore, we should, as response to his gracious giving of crushing the beef between God and man by faith in Christ's death and resurrection on the cross, that's our motivation to give. That's all I had to say. And the church said, amen. Father, we thank you for this opportunity. Maybe there's someone here that doesn't know you as Savior and needs to place their confidence in you. God, I'm praying for your mercy. I'm praying for your strength. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus as Savior.